it sucks. It sucks sharing custody of your kids. It is that, that for me was harder than any part of the divorce. Hello, and welcome to the Parenthood Pod, where our lives and stories aren't perfect, but very real. I'm your host, Leonia Kidanor, and every week I will bring you conversations that aim to smash the stigma on struggles we face as parents. Let's begin. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I have Rachel Sobel on the podcast with me. Rachel, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, We're just talking about this pretty severe weather where you are um, in Florida. What's the story? You know, just another day in Florida with some hurricane stuff going on. It's pretty typical. So we're going to, we're going to hope that everyone gets out fairly unscathed. But unfortunately, this is par for the course of being a Floridian. Oh, it's so crazy. I mean, we're in Melbourne here and it's like four seasons in one day, but I think maybe a little less severe in nature, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so firstly, actually, just to introduce you to our audience, I'd like to know a little bit about yourself. Um, I obviously found you via social media and you've got quite a presence on uh, TikTok and Instagram. Um, and you've got your podcast too, which I've listened to. And I really like, really love the dynamic between yourself and your co-host. Um, you. How did you get into this space? Because I feel like you're everywhere now. <laughs> um, I I physically feel like I'm stretched in a million directions everywhere. So that, that <laughs> makes me feel good. At least it's validating. Um, it kind of happened accidentally on purpose. Um, I have always written in my profession, but I used to write for big companies and corporate and tech companies. And so I kind of parlayed that when I was sick of working in corporate America and I just couldn't be in a cubicle anymore. And I was overworking for anyone. And I just, I couldn't live that life. I was getting really burnt out. Um, after, you know, it was only 20 something years. It's not like I put in a lifetime of working, but I was done. It was too, too much for me. And I decided to go off on my own and start writing for myself and writing about my life experiences and writing about marriage and divorce and, babies and all that kind of stuff. And then I all of a sudden found myself in this like incredible social media, Instagram community with like-minded parents who were doing the same thing. And we all kind of grew together without knowing what we were doing. It just, it happened Mm. organically, but it was, there's a lot of hustle behind it too. Mm. How many years have you been doing that for? Oh, this has been, I'm on year eight, eight years. Yeah. Wow. Because you can say, I mean, obviously you've got to... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, like, you know, that's a, that's a solid number. So you can see that you've been there from sort of from the start. Um, so that's why I really wanted to have a chat to you. And I know you're so open and honest about your experience with sort of having, um, a failed marriage. And I know you're in a, in a new marriage now and you've got your, your, it's one daughter, isn't it? That you've got. I have two. I have one from my first marriage and then one from my current and final husband. Oh, amazing. I love that you said final as well. That's beautiful. Um, so I want to hear a little bit more. <laughs> I want to hear more about your experience. I think a lot of the time on the podcast, we're bringing couples on to talk about, you know, their challenges that they're experiencing, but I'm very interested in, in better understanding from your perspective, um, you know, with that experience that you had with your first husband, um, you know, what are some of the lessons that we, our audience can even learn from? And there's, we've got a lot of single parents who listen to the podcast as well. So um, I think first and foremost, tell us from right from the start, how did you meet your your ex? I met my ex in college. We were college sweethearts. 
Um, we had a very long relationship, long courtship, long engagement, long marriage. We, we have an 18 year history. Um, and you know, I think that it's really interesting because I meet couples and talk to couples all the time at different stages, whether they're married or separated or going through a divorce or very happily married and fine. And I think that marriage is, I think what I didn't realize at a younger age, you, you think there's this stereotype of what marriage is supposed to look like and what the path is supposed to look like. And I think what I learned in retrospect is that marriage is so incredibly subjective and it's such a personal, I know that sounds obvious, but I don't think we realize that if you're someone who's getting married in your twenties, I don't, I think that's so young. And I got married in my twenties the first time and I don't regret it. I had, you know, a beautiful baby. And at the time it was the right situation for me. And I, it was a learning experience, but I think that 20 something is very young to get married. How are we supposed to know who we are as women in our twenties when we're off the heels of, you know, I was graduating college. I was in my first profession. I wasn't a mother yet. I, I didn't have these life experiences and I didn't know, I knew what I knew. Um, looking back now, it's easy to say that. I think when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see red flags and things that maybe are deal breakers and stuff like that. But I think that every couple has their threshold for things that um, can either make or break their marriage and everyone is different. And I, and I get so many questions from people once they know that I have been through a divorce and come out the other side and remarried and I'm living a very happy life and a very healthy and functional marriage. Everyone, the question for most people in my DMs or in person is always like, well, how did you know? And how did you know it was time? And what made you finally take the leap to go through a divorce? And it's such a tough question because everyone wants that silver bullet answer to make them feel validated. And the truth is, is that it's different for everyone. We all have different thresholds in terms of what we're willing to endure before we throw in the towel or if we think something is salvageable. And I've always said to people... Um, if you can save your marriage, especially if you have children, if your marriage is fixable through therapy, through introspection, through conversation, then you should try and fix it. You really, you know, there's no reason just to jump ship because everybody gets divorced. However, if you're in a situation where you know it is not salvageable and you are unhappy and your partner's unhappy, children or not, you can't stay in a situation that's unhealthy for you mentally. It's not mm -hmm. going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for your children, but only you can kind of determine where that cutting off point is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Was for yourself, was it a progressive gut feel over a long period of time? Was it one point in which it just triggered you and you said, you know, we're, we're kind of done here? Like, What was your experience? I think it was gradual. And I think that for me, and I can only speak for me because I don't like mm. to tell other people's stories or perspectives. I think for yeah. me, I so desperately wanted it to work and I did not want to, I was so scared to get divorced because of the taboo that was associated with it. And I felt like I would be failing and I felt like my daughter would be coming from a broken home and all those mm. things that are, you're kind of socially conditioned to believe about divorce. And so mm. I was so fearful to even consider it. And so I ignored a lot. I ignored a lot of things that just didn't, you know, were not functional and not healthy. And now, like it's easy to say this again, in retrospect, mm. everything's easier, but now I look back at that and I'm like, how could I have ever felt like it was okay 
to sacrifice my own happiness just to stay in something to please society or the mm. people around me who might judge me because the people around you, if they're not fully supportive of you and your life decisions, they're not your people. And that doesn't mean they have to agree with you all the time. I think mm. it's healthy in friendships and relationships to have differing points of views and look at different perspectives. But when you decide to leave a marriage, if there are people who are actively trying to talk you out of it, to me, that's disheartening because nobody has to live in your marriage. Nobody has mm. to go home and sleep in bed at night with your partner. Nobody mm. has to deal with knowing what it feels like to hear the door open and wonder what kind of night you're going to have. And so you have mm. to, it's a tough kind of, you know, look in a mirror that you have to have of yourself to figure out how much you are willing to go through to save something before you decide if it is savable. Mm, so true. I want to touch on the society piece and the society expectations. Do you think that you got married early and, you know, young, I guess, in your 20s? I got married in my 30s. So I guess young um, because of society as well, because you were together forever, your sweethearts, and that's what is expected? Or did you truly think at that time that's what you wanted? I think at that time, it is what I wanted. I think I was madly in love. I wanted, I had invested so much time and energy into the relationship. It was the next logical progression. I did the whole, you know, graduate high school, go to college, finish college, get my master's, get my first job. I went through the trajectory that in my mind, I felt like was the path I was always supposed to take. And I didn't get married because I felt like society told me to get married. I genuinely wanted to be married. Even when I got married the second time, I love being a wife. I love being a partner. I love taking care of my family. I complain on Instagram. I, you know, make fun of social media, shame my family for leaving their stuff everywhere. But at, in my, in my core, I'm a nurturer and I'm maternal and I love taking care of my people. And so I genuinely wanted to get married. I, I just mm. think that where I was at that point in my life, I was 26 years old, like I said, fresh out of, you know, my master's, a couple years under my belt of a career. And I don't even recognize that person when I think about her now. She was so far from being evolved into what I am now. And I think that mm. just comes with age. I think mm. that when you hit your 30s, your evolution really kind of kicks into high gear. And then you hit your 40s and it's like, People make you fearful of getting older, but so far for me, my 40s have been my most incredible decade. And mm. when I speak to women in their 50s, they say things like, just wait till your 50s, it's even better. I think we're conditioned to think that getting old sucks, right? Mm. And that we turn into these like shriveled up old people. But I feel like I have, I just get more comfortable in my skin. I get more comfortable with my friendships, female and male. I get more comfortable in my marriage. And I just think it's kind of like this really amazing evolution you go through. When I look back at myself in my 20s, how could I possibly know who I was at that point when I had zero life experiences yeah. at that point to really understand what, what I was to my core? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's interesting you say that. My mom actually got married um, quite early as well. Um, she, my my dad was one of the first people that she was sort of in a relationship with, and the one piece of advice she gave me was live your life as much as you can before you know she doesn't regret it. They're still happily married, you know, so many years yeah. on. But she sort of sits there going, "I didn't. I was so young." And obviously, ever every relationship has its challenges, right? But you know, when you've been with someone for for so long and you really want to stick it out, and sometimes you look over there and go, "The grass is a little bit greener." So I did that exact thing. My experience was. I actually met my now husband uh, about 
15 years ago, he was my first boyfriend. And then after four years, I actually broke up with him. I went to the States, actually. I studied at USC for a little bit and just shook it up a bit and lived, lived, I guess. Um, and then came back and I had other relationships as well and then ended up with the same guy, you know, 10, 15 years on. So really interesting. And I guess I sit there going, okay, I feel that I've had that experience. I feel so like great that I did. However, it's not for everyone. I mean, everyone has their own experiences, but it's interesting you say that. Like who you are in your twenties, it's, it's, you just, you really do evolve. Um, what I want to know about is once baby came into the picture, did that sort of amplify some of the red flags for you? You know, it's interesting. You'd think it would. Um, it didn't amplify them for me because I threw myself into being a mother. I really kind of ignored everything else going around me. I was working mm-hmm. full time. And so I only had, you know, three months because the United States sucks with maternity leave. Yeah. Um, I had three yeah. months um, to be with my baby and bond with her and really kind of lean into the my new, you know, stint as a mother. And so I think because I was so focused on being a mom, I actually think I even more so ignored anything that would have raised any red flags for me because I was so blissfully happy being a mother. And that was all that mattered to me at that moment. And and again, when I even thought about the possibility of my marriage ending, now I had this newborn and in my head was telling me, you can't leave a marriage. You have a newborn. You can't go anywhere. You can't leave. And I hear that from so many women too. People stay because of their children, whether they're babies or teenagers. And, you know, I, this isn't just arbitrary. I am a child of divorce. My parents got divorced when I was, I wasn't a child. I was in my early twenties, but I can tell you wholeheartedly that watching parents have tension and acrimony and the fighting, doesn't matter how old you are. That's a really terrible environment to be grown up in. And I know without question that watching my parents go through a divorce and the fighting and everything went on a thousand percent shaped the way that I then handled conflict in relationships and the way that I perceived conflict and the triggers that I had. And so all these people that stay for the children, I get it. I completely on a logical level, I understand because you don't want to disrupt something. But when you really think about what you're doing, you're kind of prolonging the pain and the therapy bills that you're going to need in the future for your children to like talk it out and figure out all the stuff that they have had to kind of internalize and compartmentalize. And so there's so many layers to it that are so difficult, Mm. but you know, I don't think it, I, I wouldn't change anything. I really wouldn't. And it's interesting when you share your story about how you met your husband, because it kind of validates my whole theory about the universe has a plan for all of us. And I know that sounds so hokey and corny, but you know, my husband now that I'm married to, we went to college together and we have mutual friends and we were at weddings together and I never laid eyes on him. We've never, we never met. We never met until years later when we met online dating and realized we had all these like parallels and then realized we had all these similar college friends. And it's amazing to me that we never laid eyes on each other, Mm. but then met when we both were ready to find each other after going through our own stuff. And so I believe in that and timing and that people are put into your life for very specific reasons. And I was very in love with my first husband. I I really, he's going to be a part of my life the rest of my life. He's the father of my first child. I don't regret Mm. any of it, but looking at where I was then looking and where I am now, you change as a person when you go through something as as shattering and devastating as a divorce. It makes you mm-hmm. look at life very differently. And I think that I chose 
my partner, my friendships and everything in my life so differently through a different lens because I had those experiences. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm curious as well. So we have some episodes called The Vault where our community calls in with things that are keeping them up at night. And often uh, we, we deal with a lot of relationship sort of questions. Now, some of them are, so our audience are predominantly parents with younger children. We recently um, released an episode about a, a father who was in a sexless, sexless marriage. Um, a lot are coming through around, you know, I've lost, you know, my, my partner and I, we're just, we've lost our mojo. We're just, I just, you know, we're just getting through the day. We're roommates. Is this what it's meant to be like? Uh, you know, we were so happy before, you know, what's, what the hell has just happened to our life, right? <laughs> and so I'm curious from your perspective, because the last mm-hmm. um, caller said, do I stay or do I go? Because I've literally, we've tried everything and it's not really working and my partner doesn't want to come to the party. So from your perspective and the people that you speak to and the experiences that you've had, you know, what do you think pushes people to take that next step and go, you know what, I've done everything I can here versus someone who might just be like, this is a tough period. We can push through. Like, What's your experience on that? You know, it's, again, I think it's very subjective because it depends how much you're willing to endure before you decide to take action either way. Cause it's scary. Divorce sucks. Divorce sucks. It's not fun. Even if you're amicable, you're talking about splitting up your life, right? It's a major life change, especially if children are involved. Mm -hmm. The the whole thing about, you know, you mentioned about becoming roommates and sexless, sexless marriages. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because I, I think I have a little bit of an unpopular opinion about it because I see all these memes all the time about jokes about withholding sex from your partner or I'm just, you know, my husband emptied the dishwasher and now there's a hundred percent chance of sex. And I've even had some jokes like that. But the reality is, is that if you are not sharing some level of intimacy with your partner, your marriage is going to suffer because that is what connects you. It's not all about sex and it's not all about physicality. It's not absolutely not. There's so many other functional parts of a marriage, but I think that when you ignore that part of your marriage and you let it go to the point that you become roommates and there's not that chemistry and all that stuff, you have to kind of decide, okay, is there not chemistry because we are just completely not putting effort in and we have just decided that we're going to live like this. We're living separate lives under one roof. Or are we really still into each other, but we're so exhausted that neither one of us is taking that initiative to kind of get things going. And there's no wrong answer. You have to kind of figure out where you fall on that spectrum of where you are. I think if you do not take time to connect with your partner and you neglect your marriage, your entire, it's going to set the tone for your entire household how you are with your children, all of that stuff. And, you know, the women who joke about it with their husbands, like, I find it funny because it's not just husbands who need sex. Wives want it and need it too. So stop neglecting yourself. And I'm not saying that means you have to be, you know, having sex every day of the week. Like, let's be realistic. We have children, we have lives, we have jobs, we are tired. There's no right or wrong number. It it is different for everyone. But I think you really have to put time into your marriage. My husband and I this year, or really after the pandemic, when we started to kind of get comfortable going out, we started booking a sitter every two weeks, knowing that at at least, at the very least, every two weeks, the two of us were going out for a kid-free dinner. My Mm -hmm. kids would sleep at my mom's or we'd get a babysitter. You have to have time together 
and explore that intimacy, not just sexual, but like the conversation outside of just your kids and logistics. You have to like honor that relationship or it's not going to work. Oh, 100%. And I think what, you know, more and more I'm realizing as, as again, with the life experience, for example, I grew up with, um, I had a friend whose mom had an affair, right? And I remember my friend was devastated. We were in primary school, absolutely devastated. I look at that experience now as an adult and, uh, you know, through all of the conversations I've had and through the podcast and with my friends and I go, I kind of get how that stuff happened. Like, and it happens all the time, unfortunately. But as a child, it just feels like the end of the earth when you're on the receiving end of that. And then you're looking at as an adult and you go, well, hold on. If you're barely speaking to your partner, you haven't had sex in however long, you're not even affectionate towards each other. You're resenting each other. You're point scoring. You're doing all the things. And then you're at work or you're somewhere and someone shows you a bit of attention. All of a sudden, I'm like, I get that. And so, yes, to your point, you have to put the effort in because it's certainly not what it was pre-children, right? I don't know. Do you, do you sort of see that as well? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Listen, you can't, I don't care what kind of marriage you're in. Every marriage requires work. Every marriage. Some are easier than others because the flow is easier and the way you interact is easier and every dynamic is different. But if you don't put the work into your marriage, no matter, it's not going to sustain itself. Marriages don't just work. It depends. You get what you put in, right? So if I have a really crappy day and if I come home in a bad mood and I take that bad mood on my husband, it's contagious because then he's in a bad mood. Then I'm snapping at my kids. He's snapping at me. Like all of it is related. It's all, it's not so difficult. So it's not rocket science. We, we, our moods and the way that we interact with, with each other are the baseline for how our home is going to operate. And every couple argues, every couple has disagreements. Like that's all part of a normal, healthy marriage. To me, in my opinion, it's not the, the like the hard times and the disagreeing that defines a marriage. It's how you rebound from it. If you yeah. can't rebound from it and have a conversation as adults to repair whatever damage has been mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. you're never, you're not going to be in a successful partnership because you can't just sweep stuff under the rug. You have to address it. You have to fix it. And then you have to move on. If you don't yeah. do those things and you just let them build and build and build, one day your husband's not going to empty the dishwasher and you're going to have a complete meltdown. And it's not even about the dishwasher. It's about all the stuff that piled up. And so it, it, you come out of nowhere sounding like a crazy person <laughs> about how things are loaded in the dishwasher. But like, you, you know, you have to put the time, you have to put the work in. And you know what? It is so crucially important to me, especially after going through a divorce, that my two children, my girls see a functional marriage and see I don't, I love that my husband walked by me and, and, you know, smacked me in the tush. I love yeah. it because my kids <laughs> yeah. see the affection. They see like, oh, yeah. wow, they think it's gross and they're horrified yeah. by it. <laughs> but I think it's important for our kids to see that, mm. you know, even the arguing, my kids have seen that we have been, you know, argued about something that's yeah. normal. I want them to see, yeah, we argued, but then we sat down to dinner together and it was fine because we hashed it out. Like those are all normal parts of life that are, are we have to normalize our kids seeing what a healthy marriage looks like. And a healthy marriage has cracks. Every yes. marriage has cracks. They're not, nothing is perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point earlier, when, you know, growing up in a household like, you know, for example, like yourself, where you may not have seen as much of that, right? And then it got to a point where your parents parted ways, you know, and I guess the point I'm making here is around um, that they're the big 
decisions you've got to make. If you're feeling as though your children are in this environment for a long period of time, that's probably a bit of a negative environment and they're only seeing, you know, thing, you know, because as you said, that will ultimately form their decisions and their triggers, et cetera, around relationships. Um, I want to ask a question around, because this is, I think, one of the biggest fears why people potentially don't leave relationships that aren't healthy. I don't want to see my kids only 50% of the time, or I don't want to be fighting, you know, with custody battles. And what if they, you know, my partner wants a, you know, them full time, all those sort of things. Talk to us about your experience with that, even personally, or just from anecdotally from other people's stories that you've heard. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks sharing custody of your kids. It is that, that for me was harder than any part of the divorce because Before I had my second child, it was hard enough because I had this one baby who was the center of my world. I mean, she was she was young. She was only mm-hmm. two and a half when we separated. Um, but it it is when you are, you know, used to having a child under your roof every day and then you're sharing time with someone else and you don't see that child, it's terrible. And then when I had my second baby, I felt a tremendous amount of guilt that she got to be with her mom and her dad. 24 seven, but my older daughter was shuffling back and forth. It's still, it's, we are divorced for a decade and it still messes with me. I, as a matter of fact, I don't do holidays like Thanksgiving down here. If, if it is an off year and I don't have my older daughter, I don't do Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving. I wait until the weekend because I refuse to do a holiday where my whole family isn't together at the table. It's too much for me. It doesn't feel right. It feels like something's missing. And so you kind of establish these rules for yourself of what makes you feel comfortable and everyone's different. Some women love it. Some women feel like it's a break and that they get a break from their children. And I understand that. I don't feel that way because I feel guilt and I feel like my family's not complete, but there are many people who relish those breaks and I completely get why they do. I think that you have to, if you're, if you're built like me, where it messes with your head, you have to kind of find things that occupy you. I would use my time and, and go running, or I would take a yoga class, or I'd treat myself to a pedicure, and I would do things that filled me with joy and made me feel happy and distracted so that I wasn't constantly just sitting at home, staring at her bedroom, waiting for her to come back home. But that is 100% the hardest part. And a lot of people don't get divorced because they don't want to do that. You know, they don't. And I get it on a very basic level. I understand that, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it ever gets easier. I just think you kind of adapt to a new normal. And I think that the saving grace in my situation is that my ex-husband and I, from the beginning, have always been very flexible with each other. So even though we have a schedule that we adhere to, at least multiple times a week, he'll say, oh, I have a meeting. Can she stay at your house tonight? And I'll say, oh, I have a dinner. Can we swap nights? And we never say no to each other. And I think that is a key that makes things work and feel more seamless and doesn't stress out your child feeling like a ping pong yes. ball. We are very, very lax with each other. And you know what? Mm-hmm. There's been times where sometimes she says, I'm so tired. I don't feel like going back and forth. Can I just stay here tonight? And we always say yes, always. Mm. We just try and make it as stress-free as possible um, and be flexible with each other because it's, mm. it's definitely not easy. That's the hardest part. That is definitely the hardest part. 
That's what I would have thought. I mean, one thing is dividing your assets and, you know, that financial and legal implications. Another thing is like your heart and soul in your child. And I know I, yeah, I mean, I go away for, you know, a girl's trip for two nights and I'm like, oh my, you know, I'm pretty good actually because I know that I'll come back and see them. But there definitely are times throughout that trip that I'm like, oh, I just want to give my little baby a cuddle. And so I can only imagine. And for those who are not in such a um, favorable situation like yourself, where perhaps the co-parenting experience is quite negative and there's a lot of animosity. I can't even imagine the stress and the toll that would take on you. I mean, for those out there who are worried about being in a situation like that, if they were to leave or who are sitting in a situation like that where they despise their ex and they're trying to do this co-parenting juggle, any sort of advice or tips around maybe how they can better look after themselves and even potentially how they can best communicate in these types of situations? Yeah, I think, you know, when you come out of a marriage, you have history and you know each other's triggers and you know how to push each other's buttons. And sometimes you do it unintentionally because you just fall into familiar patterns of fighting in the way that you used to fight. And I think that when things get heated or things get emotional, you have to back away. If you engage in a situation where both people are emotional, you're going to go in circles and you're not going to get anywhere. You have to take a beat, take a breath stop texting, stop with the fingers being on fire going, you know, that was, I think one of the biggest things I learned is sometimes you got to like, just take a step back and not respond so quickly and be unemotional about it and treat it like a business transaction. The other thing that I think is a huge piece of advice that was given to me that I'm glad I don't have to use it because we are very flexible with each other, but you know, you have options when you're dealing with your lawyer and they're drawing things into a custody agreement or a parent, you know, a custody sharing agreement You can put in there that you want to speak to your child every night at this time, regardless of where they are. And you want to have a good night phone call or you want to have a good morning phone call. If you are dealing with someone who's very difficult, we we both have open access to my daughter and she's old enough that she has a phone. So we talk to her all the time constantly. But until they're at that phase, you have options legally where you can talk to an attorney and have things drawn into agreement where Mm -hmm. you have what, you know, maybe you say you have open access to call whenever you want, or you have a set time for good morning, good night phone calls. So like Mm -hmm. you do have legal actions that you can take that you can have drawn into agreements when you're dealing with someone very difficult. And if they don't honor that, they're in violation of an agreement. And that's a legal thing that you can get, you know, your Mm -hmm. attorney involved in. So it's because of the fear of access to your child um, should not be a reason for you to stay in a marriage that is not healthy for you and does not make you happy. Um, Cause your kids were, you'll, they'll feel it. Even if you don't they'll think feel they're it. feeling it, they feel mm. it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, no, I think that's been really good, really helpful and just um, sort of uh, normalising. I mean, this is something that what they say 50%, I know in Australia it's like 50% of people end up in divorce. America's probably something similar. So many of us are going through, you yeah. know, so many people are going through this and it's important to normalise it. I think to conclude with what, what I'm hearing you say, it's, you know, you want to throw everything you can at your relationship. You give it the very best go you can, potentially go and see the professionals if you're at a point where you feel as though you need that third-party assistance. And then really fundamentally in your soul, if you're feeling like this is not something that can be sustained for the long term, then you've got to start thinking about the environment that you want your children to be in, your own well-being, you know, and all of that, and then make some difficult decisions. But I think coming speaking to someone like you who's now in a very healthy marriage, um, 
I think sort of it goes to show people as well. It's a great sort of, you know, model for, for those to, to know that just because you may have had one failed relationship, it doesn't mean that you can't pick yourself up. Um, I'm curious, how did you go with dating the second time around? Oh, dating is the worst. Dating <laughs> is, I remember, you know, being in my 20s and like putting on my body glitter and my tube top and going out and being like, this is awesome. Dating in your 30s after a divorce with like, you know, a, a toddler, it's mm. just terrible. It's not fun. You're exhausted. Mm. You don't, you know, it's, it's really hard. I tried the organic route of letting people set me up. And that was a disaster. Um, because <laughs> the funny thing is when you're, when you're divorced, people are like, Oh, you're divorced. I have a divorced friend. And they automatically uh, assume that you're just going to get along because you're divorced, but that's not enough to sustain like a dating relationship. You actually have to like, you know, have things in common and be attracted <laughs> to each other and all those things. But you know, I, I will say this dating is terrible. It is. However, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I said in the beginning of this conversation that you look at things through a different lens and that I think that includes how you spend your time. And the thing that I mm-hmm. think is magical about when you go through a divorce is that your threshold for putting up with nonsense is basically non-existent because you have mm-hmm. just thrown your everything at dealing with lawyers and custody schedules and all these things. So you have nothing mm-hmm. left, which sounds really bad. But the positive of it is that when it comes to dating, your radar for red flags and all those things mm-hmm tends to be a little bit more um, sharp. And so you kind of like weed through the garbage and you Mm -hmm. find the people that you think are worth spending your time with. And listen, some people have a totally different attitude. Some people are just at it to have fun, to go out every night of the week, to not get into a relationship, just, you know, live Mm -hmm. their best life. And that's awesome too. I think that dating should be whatever you want it to be. And if you want it just to be an ongoing circus or revolving door, then that's what you should do. If you Mm. are looking to find your next husband or partner or whatever it is, then that's what you should do also. There's no rule, Mm. but you have to go into it knowing that like, it's going to be a little bit shaky. It's not everyone Mm. wants to date a woman with children. And you know, it's funny. I just did a whole um, campaign with this amazing new app called Stir, which is by the oh. people from Match. And it's the first thing I've heard oh. of that is for single parent. It's solely for oh, single wow. parents. So the thing I love about that, that I wish that would have existed when I was mm. dating is that you're going on to a site where you know that everyone understands exactly mm. what you're going through. So you're not going to have those awkward conversations of, oh, I, I have to cancel our date. My sitter canceled and my ex isn't available yeah. or my ex yeah. is sick. And I have to take my kid. Some people aren't so patient with that. And to me, that was the hardest yeah. part with dating was that fear of, is someone going to be turned off because I have a child and she is my priority. When I met my yeah. now husband, he was he just was so easy. He rolled with the punches. Mm-hmm. He didn't flinch mm-hmm. when I had to cancel things. He was very mm-hmm. understanding. And so I will do this too. I see a lot of people um, on my account in general who mm-hmm. have a really hard time with their stepchildren or vice versa. Mm-hmm. For me, it would have never been an option to be in a relationship with someone who did not love my child as if that was their own child. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Everyone, everyone, Some people finding a partner is more important and they don't necessarily care about how much they accept their kids. I would not have ever entered into a second marriage with somebody who did not wholeheartedly understand that my child comes first in all ways and that he needed to be on board with that. So I think mm-hmm. when you start dating, you have to set your expectations the expectations of the people that you're dating so that Mm. there's no surprises and there's no awkward conversations. 
Yeah, 100%. I'm curious. So is this app Stir, is it on the market at the moment? Like is it available or is it in process? Yes. Oh, yes. That's it's amazing. Called, if you go to Instagram, it, I know. Isn't that, I, I'm looking at it. I'm like, yeah. this is like, this has me all over it. I wish that, I mean, yeah. listen, my husband now is not a single parent, yeah. so I wouldn't have met yeah, him. Yeah. But yeah, I do think that single parents who, who are looking for other single parents so they yeah. don't have to go through the whole, you know, explaining how things work, it's genius. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that will take off for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. How can people find out a bit more about you and your work? So I am most active on Instagram, which is at Wine and Cheez-Its, and that's at W-H-I-N-E and Cheez-Its. Um, that's also my website name. And so my website's kind of my mothership and has all my writing and all that stuff. But I'm definitely the most active and engaged on Instagram. I try and respond to all the messages I get. Um, I try and engage with people because I do look at it more of as a community versus just an account. Um, mm. And so that's probably the easiest way to find me. I just started TikTok fairly recently and I'm growing on there and trying to figure it out, but I feel really old. Um, <laughs> I feel really old when I see all the millennials doing their thing and I'm trying my best to keep up. But um, Instagram is probably the best way to find me. Yeah, that's how I found you. I'm the same with TikTok. I'm like, Jesus, this is another beast we've got to get into, but I don't know. Like, <laughs> just taking it one day at a time. Um, I will pop, I'll pop those details in the episode notes so that people can find you as well. Thank you again, Rachel. Thank you so much. You were a pleasure and this was a great conversation. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram at Parenthood Pod and join our Facebook group. Netflix on the show. We split up a year ago. We have a five-year-old son and we share 50-50 custody. But this new boyfriend, I guess he's the new partner. I don't believe he is a very good influence on our son. Thanks for listening. Until next time. The Parenthood Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on the land of the Wurundjeri people. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging.